So the rest of us, if we would, let's stand. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 24, beginning at verse 6. The Word of God is quick, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We stand in reverence for the Word of God. Joshua 24 and verse 6 says, And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came <clears throat> excuse me, unto the sea. And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt, and ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into, <clears throat> excuse me, into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand that ye might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. <clears throat> so I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. And the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gargashites, the Hivites, Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. Verse 13, And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, cities which you built not, that you dwell in them. And you dwell in them. Of the vineyards and oliveyards which ye planted not, do ye eat. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me, and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day. But as for me and those in my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to preach this morning, and if we could title it, we'd title it, No Quit in Me. No quit in me. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. God, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your power, your spirit, your presence that's here in this place. God, I thank you for each and every individual that is here to worship you, to minister unto you together. God, I pray that your word would not return void, but God, I pray that someone would be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost today, the evidence of which is speaking in other tongues as your spirit gives us the utterance. And God, I pray 
that we would baptize someone in the name of Jesus today. God, I pray that someone's life would be changed for the better today. God, challenge me today. God, challenge me. Help me to grow. Help me to be strong. Help me uh, to move forward in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Why don't we clap our hands this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. No quit in me. Joshua chapter 24 is very similar to chapter 23. But whereas chapter 23 is a historical view, chapter 24 is an official review for future generations. Joshua has called the people of Israel to a place by the name of Shechem. And it is the place where covenants between God and man began to take place. It's a place where God makes a covenant with Abraham, where the Abrahamic covenant begins. It's also a, a city of refuge. And it's the place where now Joshua has called the people of Israel back to. And this covenant that began between God and Abraham is now to be renewed between the people and God as the last act of Joshua's life. And so Joshua challenges the people of God. He said, first, put God's word first. Put God's word first. This is the place where God began to transition. It's, he's, he's brought them back to this place where God moved from dealing with an entire group of people and he started dealing with Abraham as just a man. It's a relationship that became personal. And from that personal relationship, now God has created an entire nation to which he's going to deal. And now Joshua is challenging them, put God's word first. Live before God faithfully is his second point. Saying God is not wanting you to be wishy-washy. God's not wanting a relationship that's good today and gone tomorrow. God's not looking for a people, and this it, it, it applies to us today. God's not looking for a people that just live for him on Sundays and Wednesdays. In fact, God's not just looking for a people that live for him on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night prayer, and Wednesday night service, and Friday night youth. But God is looking for people that will live for him continually, that will live for him faithfully. There's something about faithfulness that gets God's attention. Put God's word first. Live before God faithfully and thirdly love God supremely love God above everything else
else you would think that these three are very similar and they are but I'm going to put God's word first I'm going to put God's word in my heart and that will keep me from sinning that will keep me from failing that will that's why you got to have a relationship with God folks that's why you got to be a, a man of the word a woman of the word it doesn't matter if you never set foot behind a pulpit you ought to know the word of God because it's what gets me close to my God I'm hiding his word in my heart that I might not sin against God and it's going to help me live before God faithfully and if I've made up my mind to live before God faithfully then I'm going to love God more than anything else in the world and if I make up my mind, I'm going to love God more than anything else in the world, then I'm going to fall in love with his word. I'm going to fall in love with his presence. I'm going to fall in love with his people. I'm going to fall in love with the church. I'm going to fall in love with the work. And before I know it, I'm going to find a transaction taking place where I'm not living for the world, or a transition rather. I'm not living for the world, but I'm living for God. And the things I used to do, I don't do anymore. I don't find pleasure in those things anymore but I'm making up my mind and Joshua's challenging the people God's looking for a people that will love him most of all God's looking for a people that will live for him most of all that will put his word first that will make up their mind what pastor preaches from the pulpit is the bare minimum the lines that pastor draws are the bare minimum of my relationship with God. But I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. When God begins to push and God begins to prod and God begins to lead, I want God to know he's got a man in me or he's got a woman in you that says, you know what, I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to pursue that relationship with God above anything else in my world. Joshua is bringing his public ministry to a close. Not only is this place where Abraham's covenant began with God, where God's covenant began with Abraham, but it's also a place that we find in Genesis 35 and verse 2. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean. Change your garments. You're going to change the method you use to worship. You're going to change the object of your affection. And it's going to not just change the way you worship, it's going to change who you worship. It's going to change the way that you look. It's going to change the way that you live. It's going to change the way that you walk. It's going to change your garments. And he said, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God. 
We understand that Bethel was the place where Jacob, when he was running from his brother Esau in the very beginning, when he was just Jacob alone, he was not married, he did not have any children, he was by himself and he was running for his life. He was hiding from his brother that he finds a place to rest and he lays his head down there on a rock and he sees a vision. He has a dream of the angels of the Lord ascending and descending a staircase and he wakes up and he says, you know what? I'm at the end to the house of God and I did not even know it and so he calls the place Bethel which means the the house of God and now in Genesis 35 they're in a place called Shechem find that in verse 4 they're in a place called Shechem. And he said, you know what? Family, we're getting ready to go back. Now he's got two wives. He's got uh, sons. He's got possessions. He's got more cattle and servants than he ever thought possible. He said, but we got this issue now that I am who I am. And now that the hand of God has been upon me, there are some things that are required of me before I can get back to the house of God. He said, and so family, I know that you weren't raised the way that I was raised. I know you weren't brought up under Abraham and Isaac I know that you're from my mother's side of the family and Laban and all the things there that we could preach about this morning he said but before we go back to the house of God before we get back to that relationship with God there are some things that are required of us he said I want you to go and I want you to gather all the strange gods that are in your hand I want you to go gather all the jewelry. I want you to go gather all the earrings, all the things that you worship. I want you to hide them. I want you to bury them. I want you to put them to rest under the oak, which is by Shechem. He said, because when we get to the house of God, we are getting ready to enter into a relationship with God like you have never dreamed. I feel the Holy Ghost so strong this morning. He said, I want you to understand that we're going some places. And because we're going, there are some things we've got to leave behind. And I'm telling you today, I know what it feels like to have things pulled away from you. And right now you're saying, Pastor, you're preaching hard. And Pastor, you're challenging me. But let me tell you today... Let me encourage you that what you find at Bethel is way more important and much more valuable than anything you left in Shechem. I'm going to take a side note and let me just tell you that when they get back to Bethel, they, by the time the, the transition is over, by the time the story is over, Jacob changes the name of Bethel again. He said, now it's El Bethel. Before I just had a revelation that it's the house of God. But now I'm going to call it El Bethel. I'm going to call it the God of the house of God. 
Because I've seen him in a different way than I saw him before. Let me preach to you this morning with the unction of the Holy Ghost that God wants to reveal himself to you, sir. God wants to reveal himself to you, ma'am, in a way that you never dreamed possible. And I'm telling you that it's far more worth anything that you could ever leave behind. I'm telling you it's worth more. There's more promise. There's more hope. There's more victory there's more than you ever imagined possible and you're in a place this morning that believes that anything is possible Jacob looks at his family says alright now let's get up let's go back to the house of God I'm going to make there an altar unto God. I'm going to the house of God with full intention, with the understanding. I'm not going just to sit back. I'm not, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm not going just because it's the Christmas season and it's the right thing to do. But I'm going back and I'm making up my mind when I get there on Sunday morning. I'm building an altar. I'm building an altar. I'm building an altar. I'm entering in to a place of worship. I'm entering in to a place of praise. I'm entering in to a place of consecration. I'm entering in with purpose because I want what God has for me. Let's clap our hands this morning. And so, That's where Joshua now has millions of people. What started out with just Abraham and then grew to Jacob, two wives, twelve sons, and a whole bunch of servants, a whole bunch of possessions is now morphed, grown into millions. Something happens. This is not in my notes. Something happens when we allow ourselves into a place where God can take that scalpel and He can start cutting away things that are not pleasing to Him. Abraham, if you'll just step into this place, if, you, if you'll step into this relationship with me, I know it's, it's not going to be easy. I know there are going to be times where you doubt my word. I know there are going to, be, going to be times when you don't see it. But if you'll just trust me enough to step in to Shechem. Jacob, you know what the house of God required. So if you'll teach your kids, if you'll teach your wives, who none of which have ever been to Bethel, if you'll teach them, this is what it takes to get there, then I will meet them in a dynamic, powerful way. And so Joshua is closing out his, his public ministry in Shechem. 
And this location itself is reinforcing the covenant between God and his people. And between the people and their God. And Joshua begins to recall the things that God has done. Joshua begins to recall the victories that they have seen or the victories of which they have heard. He begins to tell them about all of the enemies that have been defeated by this group of the children of God. And in verse 8 he said, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. Why? That you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you don't believe for one second that God just wants you to live off of scraps. Don't believe for a second that God just wants you to live off of a spiritual drip. But God said, I know who the Amorites are. Their name indicates that they were mountain dwellers that had supposedly crossed over the Jordan River and occupied land on the other side. He's saying, and I want you to understand that I'll give you the mountain. I'll give you their land. I'll give them into your hand if you will but just trust me. Then in verse 9, a story that, which we've preached a lot about, uh, here recently, then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel. Because, you see, just because I have one victory doesn't mean that there's never going to be another fight. Just because I've watched one enemy fade into non-existence, just because God has given me victory over the Amorites, does not mean I'm just going to have smooth sailing from here on out. But there's going to be time after time after time. I'm not preaching this today to try to get you down in the mully grubs. But I'm telling you that if God de delivered the Amorites into your hand, then what are the Moabites? I'm telling you today that if God can deliver the Amorites into your hand, his hand is not slack concerning his promise. The king of Moab arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. Balak son of Zippor. His very name means devastator. God, we just got victory over the Amorites and here comes another enemy. When will it end? It's easy to feel devastation when wave after wave after wave after wave and it would seem foolish on Joshua's part if he was operating in human reasoning. Well, why would you call all those battles back to their memories? Do you remember when you went through this? Do you remember when you went through this? Do you remember when you went through this? Do you remember that time that everything was falling apart? Do you remember that time when your car broke down? Do you remember that time that it got repossessed? Do you remember this time? Do you remember that time when that bill was due? Do you remember that time when this was taken away? But let me tell you something today. Joshua is telling them about their victories while they're standing 
on the backside of their victories and they're looking back and he's saying you know what I know it was rough then I know you didn't know how you were going to make it through that time I know when you faced devastation you didn't know how it was going to work out but you still got breath in your body you still got breath in your lungs is there still a praise upon your lips he said I want you to know that God didn't forsake you that time and God didn't forsake you this time you face the mountain dwellers who were trying to encroach upon your promise and then you faced Balaam the devastator and Balaam whose name means devourer the son of Beor which means a burning father of an Edomite king and his false prophet. You face the devastation. You face the devourer. But I would not hearken unto the voice of the devourer. Therefore, he blessed you still. What might happen today? What might happen if we get something in our spirit that says, you know what? I've been through hell. And I know we have. I know we have. I know you have on a personal level. But let me tell you, let me remind you of something today. You're still here. So, well, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not, where, I'm not where I should be. You know what? You're exactly where you should be because you're in the house of God this morning. It just because you've fallen, it just because you made a mistake does not mean you're down for the counter, but you're in the right place at the right time and you need to make up your mind. There's no quit in me. There's no quit in me. It's not in my vocabulary. I refuse to back up. I refuse to back down. I refuse to give in. I refuse to go under. There's no quit in me. Face the Amorites, you face Balak, the king of Moab. You face devastation. You face those who would want to devour you. But in verse 11, and you went over the Jordan. You crossed the river, which marked the boundary between wilderness and promise I know you face the Amorites I know you face the Moabites but then you went over I know you didn't know how it was going to work out I know you didn't see how it was going to happen I know that you faced devastation I know that you were overwhelmed but you still went over you came under Jericho the men of Jericho fought against you. The Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites. Man, they didn't fight any termites. They didn't fight Hivites, Jebusites. They faced the Perizzites, whose name means belonging to a village. And the villages have this underlying meaning of smallness. You see, people who grow up in 
villages are exposed to very limited opportunities for growth. Very limited educational, cultural, and even entertainment opportunities are scarce. And so if not careful, people who grow up in villages can develop a very limited vision of life. Dreams are easily spawned in an environment that stimulates people with options, opportunities. We're going to talk about apostolic culture tonight. These dreams are easy when the, the light flashes and things are going on around us. There's ample opportunity. But since those things are limited in a village, villagers are very likely not to dream of great things. And the few who do just simply dream of making it out of the village. They can't see beyond the borders. Well, you know what? Let me just put it to you this way. My granddaddy, my dad's dad, if you were driving to my uncle's house, there's a lane that goes back to their house. It's nine-tenths of a mile long. There's two other houses on that lane. When I was a kid, you drive down that lane, and there was this little shack just off the side of the road, just past the ditch. This little one-room shack. It's been it's been knocked down for years. But when I was a kid, I remember driving by there. And one time, my dad slowed the car down. He said, you see that shack? Yeah. That's where your granddaddy grew up. One-room shack. Dirt floors. But when he became a man, he had already learned how to work hard. He was drafted to go to Korea. And back then they didn't fly the soldiers. They put them on a ship. And they're chugging along. And there was a guy amongst them who thought himself to be a prize fighter. And they set up this makeshift boxing ring for this guy. And he was calling people out on their trip to Korea. And one after another, this guy, the story goes that this guy's just beating them to death nearly. They're just one after another, they're falling, falling, they're falling. And my granddad was about six foot three and he's a farm boy. He was, he was never real big, but he was strong. He was, he was kind of lanky, but he was, he was strong. And that guy looks up and he said, Delbert, get in this ring. My granddad said, I don't even want to be here, let alone fight you. Before you know it, they're pushing him and they push him in that ring. And he got hit a couple of times. He said, you know what, I don't want to get hit. He said, I don't want to fight you. But because I'm here, I don't want to get knocked out either. And so when the opportunity arose, 
My granddad reared back and he hit him with one of those haymakers. And that guy who thought he was a prize fighter but had been raised softly. There was something that welled on the inside of Delbert Esco Fishburn. He said, you know what? I may have grown up dirt floor poor, but there's no quit in this man. And there's something that rose up inside of him. He said, I don't want to fight, but if I must, I fight to win. And by the time that man passed away, when I was just a teenager, that man did not live in a house with a dirt floor or a one-room shack. He's got a farm of 400 acres and 100 head of cattle and he grew up and he became a man and he went through the service and he put himself uh, to work in a sawmill and he raised through three boys who were successful because there's something that begins to happen in the heart of men and women who are raised and who say, you know what? I know I may not have come from much and I could either choose to let that limit me with a spirit of smallness or I could choose to let it birth something inside of me that says I refuse to quit. I refuse to give up. I'm never going back there again. There's no quit in me. I'm not looking just to make it out. I'm looking to make it happen. You thought Parasite. Thought the Canaanites. Canaanites were a lowlands people. Since the word land relates to the concept of the earth or the ground, these lowlands refer to low earthly passions. And those Canaanite spirits were the spirits behind addictions, sexual perversions, which is why Sodom and Gomorrah are portrayed in Scripture as Canaanite cities. You can read it in Genesis 10, 19. The border, of the, the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as thou comest to Gerar, unto Gaza, as thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah. And Joshua's telling them, listen, you fought that small mindset. Man, Egypt was a whole lot bigger than us. There was a whole lot more people there in Egypt than there were Hebrews. And we, we made it out, but there is there going to be a life for us here? He said, and then you faced the sexual perversion. You faced those things, those Canaanite spirits of addictions and sexual, sexual perversions. And you made it. And you defeated them one battle after another until you came to the Hittites, whose name means the sons of terror. They were descendants of a man whose name meant terror. And it referred to the extreme manifestation of fear. And those spirits prey on people's emotions. They like to stay in the dark. They like to remain unseen to the mind. They whisper speculation into the emotions. Which tells us that people who have a nasty habit of spreading rumors and speculations are people who harbor Hittite spirits in their hearts. Parasites, Canaanites, you face terror. Almost as if Joshua is interjecting what he and Caleb felt when they brought back 
fruit of the land. And the ten spies said, we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. It was those spirits that were whispering in their ears that say, you'll never be big enough. You'll never be strong enough. You'll never be spiritually able enough to conquer. He said, but we came and we fought and God delivered. And the Girgashites, the clay dwellers, they dwelt on earthliness. They focused on things that were visible rather than things which were spiritual. And the Jebusites, the threshers, refers to the agricultural activity of beating grain out of the husk. It was usually done through animals such as oxen who were used to tread on the grain that was laid out over a threshing floor. And so those Jebusite spirits being Threshers are spirits that tread or stomp on other people. Those people whose hearts are infected by Jebusite spirits tend to be people who don't hesitate to put down and humiliate. And so the Jebusites made a concerted effort to prevent the Israelites from growing any taller. They like to make people feel small and deliberately put them down anytime they see these small people trying to establish their authority. And so Joshua is here and he's making his final, his final stand as their minister, as their pastor. And he's saying, listen, I know that we face the Amorites and on and on and on and on and on down the list. And when you face the Amorites, you didn't know how it was going to work out. And then you face the next one and you didn't know how it was going to work out. But you made it past the first. You made it past the second. You made it past the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh. And you read elsewhere in Scripture where the Bible says that God left those enemies there to teach them how to war. To teach them how to fight. To put something inside the heart, the mind, the spirit. That visceral feeling that says I'm not going under. I'm not going down. I'm establishing my dominion as a child of God. I refuse to be lax. I refuse to go under. I refuse to bow. I refuse to cower. I refuse to give in. You made it past the first because there wasn't any quit in you. You made it past the second because there was no quit in you. You're here today because there's no quit in you. This next source is very collegiate. Dr. Seuss. 1 fish, 2 fish. Red fish, blue fish. But Dr. Seuss said I have heard there are troubles of more than one kind. Some come from ahead and some come from behind. But I've bought a big bat. I'm all ready, you see. Now my troubles are going to have troubles with me. There's something 
something that needs to happen in the heart of every man, every woman, every boy and girl that's in this place today. You need to make up your mind. I refuse to quit. I want to hear the sound of victory. I want to hear the sound of harvest. I want to hear the sound of outpouring. I want to hear the sound of angels' wings. I want to hear the sound of reapers. I want to hear the sound of testimonies. I want to hear the sound of purpose. I want to hear the sound of revival. I know I've been through it. I know I've been knocked down, but I'm still standing. I'm still here. I've got an attitude that tells me there's no option to quit. There's no plan B. I'm not going to quit fasting. I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to quit reaching. I'm not going to quit witnessing. I'm not going to quit pressing. There's no quit in me. Joshua brought them back to that place where Abraham's life was transformed. Where multiplication took place after that. He brought them back to that place where Jacob had told his family it's time to put away the false gods. It's time to get those things out of your life. It's time to move forward. It's time to get up. It's time to arise. It's time to have a spiritual encounter with the things of God. And you're not just going to have a spiritual encounter with the things of God. He said, but you're getting ready to see God face to face. You're getting ready to have a, an encounter with God that will forever change the way that you look at God. What would it take today for you to believe that God really cares about who you are and where you are? That God really knows your name? That God really knows the number of hairs upon your head? What might it take today as we stand all over this house? What might God have to do? There's no quit. Webster defines the word quit as giving up. To depart from. Or out of. To leave the company of. I'm not giving up. I will not give up. God is looking at you and I. And he's saying, you know what? If you'll continue seeking my face in prayer. If you will refuse to lose the desire to pray, you will see the harvest that I have prepared for you. I'm thankful for 55 kids in Sunday school today, but that's a drop in the bucket. You want to know where my mind went today? My mind went to, you know what? Before too long, we're going to have to build another sanctuary so the adults can go over there so the kids can have this sanctuary. You know what? I'm just telling you, I'm crazy enough to do it. I'm crazy enough to plan for it because I know that God, he said, he continues seeking me. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. He's saying, you know what? I know 2020 might have knocked the wind out of some of your sales, but it ought to also put a hunger in you to draw closer to God through the chaos of the world. It ought to birth a desire and an attitude that refuses to settle.
I didn't think I was going to make it that time, Pastor. But you know what? You did. You did make it. But I faced another giant. I know you did. But you made it. It's not been easy. I know it hasn't. But you made it. You made it. You're still here today. And no matter what you're facing, you can make it. I said you can make it. You can make it. There needs to be a desire and an attitude that is birthed into us this morning that refuses to settle for anything less than that which is apostolic. We need to be immersed and overcome with an attitude that says, I brought a big bed and I'm ready, you see. Now my trouble is getting ready to have trouble with me. Depression cannot hold on to my mind. Oppression cannot grip my spirit. smallness has no place in the life of a child of God he's saying you can make it you can make it you're in the right place at the right time today this altar's open I wonder if I have anybody that says you know what I'm pushing through I'm pushing through today no matter what it takes I'm breaking out I'm breaking loose I'm breaking forth today I'm letting that spirit rise in me that refuses to quit Come on, this altar's open. Why don't you find a place to pray?